God is doing so many wonderful things here at New Spring. I'll get into the message in just a few moments, but I just feel like celebrating so many things that God is doing here. In this series, we've seen literally hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, these are, these are interesting times. If we have six, 7,000 people here on our campus, we're going to have even more people online around the world watching and then with television. So I know in one week, between what happened here on our campus, what happened online and television, we had 209 people trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that we know about. And I am so thankful for everybody who works in these ministries that take the word of God that happens here outside our walls and through technology and, and all the people who work on that team. So many good things are happening. I know... Um, I, I, I meet a lot of people outside of New Spring that I probably, maybe more people even than I meet in New Spring. And I was uh, in a store this week and I ran into a lady and she was doing shopping. And so she was pushing her basket by me. And she said, oh, just a minute. She said, are you Mark Hoover? I never know why people ask me if that's who I am. Maybe I just look different up close. I think it's, no, I'm just as ugly a person as I am on camera. <laughs> But uh, it's a real sweet lady, and she just said, you know, and I got the feeling that they'd never been inside our church, but they live in another city, and her husband is a cancer patient. It's been for a long time, and she said, we just live from week to week watching New Spring. And so I just praise God for all the things, wonderful things that are happening. I wasn't here uh, personally to tell you thank you last weekend, uh, but you guys exceeded expectations and uh, just exceeded imagination in raising funds for the Bibles to send to prisoners around the country. And I'm so excited about that because we have no idea how many people are going to be saved through that ministry, through your generosity. And I had thought we would just continue to have this offering all the way to Easter, but I actually had to come back last week and say, okay, we're there. And I, some of you come from Baptist churches, you've never heard a pastor say, we're there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said Baptist. It could be a lot of different churches. You've <laughs> never heard a pastor say that. But we're really excited that we have three weeks less left of the Jesus Gallery. By the way, don't you appreciate our creative team and these incredible things that they're doing? <laughs> well, we got a ton of funny stories on that too because people watch it online they don't know what they're watching, you know, and there was actually, uh, uh, I think a lady, if I've got my story straight, because it's like second or third hand with me, but she said, you got to solve an issue. My husband and I are arguing, are those real people <laughs> on the stage or is, and, and we said, yes, we know those people and they are real indeed. <laughs> and, no, Dan Cooper said, one of them is my wife, so it's, it's this is real. But it, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? Just the creative, the creative stuff that happens in this place. And here's why, you know. We really believe that the, the message of God's word needs to be treated as valuable. And frankly, I'm not trying to be negative because I've got so many good things to say. But in a lot of churches today, it kind of just gets mailed in. You know, we're just mailing it in. We don't play church at New Spring. We're serious. It's about life change. And I'm so excited... As pastor, one of the treats that I have, because I work, I interact with all these teams, is I get to watch people who are gifted in so many ways bring their gifts to the table and utilize them. Artistic gifts, uh, scientific gifts, 
creative gifts, you know, all kinds of gifts, people coming to the table and, and bringing their gift. I think that's the way the church was meant to function because God has not made us all the same, right? And, and he's made us to have different gifts and different abilities. But I do want to let you know we have three weeks coming up left of the Jesus Gallery. This week is one of the most interesting messages I really believe God has ever given me. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this. It, I mean, obviously, I've heard a sermon on the cup that Jesus drank, but I think when you, when, when you get through listening to the sermon this weekend, whenever you go back in your mind to Jesus praying in the garden, let this cup pass from me, you will know what he was talking about. So it's a really, really important message this weekend. And then, of course, we're going to Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is going to be an extraordinary day here at New Spring. The sermon is on the crucifixion of Jesus. And every, every part of the message, every, every song is going to be awesome. And then it all leads up that night to a night of worship. We're coming back on Sunday night, and our team is going to be here leading in worship. We also have Cynthia Green. She's from Brooklyn, New York. She was here not long ago. And Alvin Slaughter. And I don't know how many of you have ever heard Alvin sing, but if you can sit down while Alvin sings, my hat's off to you. But we just have an incredible night of worship planned for Palm Sunday night. And then on Thursday of that upcoming week, I will be leading in an online communion. And so more information coming up about that. But we did that last year, and it was really exciting. A lot of you guys invited your neighbors over uh, to have communion in your home. And it was just a lot of great stories that happened there. And then Easter services start. And Easter is going to be over a three-day period here at New Spring. We have, I'm going to make sure I get this right. We have a service on Friday night at 6.30. We have two services on Saturday, and heads up, because they're not exactly our normal times. They're at 3.30 and 5.30. And if you're wondering why we're doing it this way, uh, here at New Spring, one of our real challenges is one crowd coming in and one crowd leaving. And if we're not careful and we overlap, we can tie up the northeast side of Wichita. So, you know, we, we have to make sure that we allow plenty of time in between the services. So Saturday night, uh, Saturday afternoon, 3.30, and then 5.30, and then Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, that's early, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11.30. Now, here's what I'm going to ask news springers. And I understand in some cases you'll be inviting someone to those two later services on Sunday and you'll want to be here, and that's cool. But if it's possible to move away from those two late services on Sunday, those are probably going to be the most congested of all. So if you can pick Friday night or one of the Saturday services or 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, they'll probably help us some. I mean, we never really know what's going to happen. So uh, I would encourage you to think about that. You can pick up two different kinds of mini invites and, and new springers. We all need to do this. We need to be strategic. Um, there's a little bit larger one for people like me who can't see quite as well. There's a smaller one for people with great eyes. But please get these and share these with your friends. Our theme for Easter is don't cry. I mean, that, it is just going to be, it's a service we've been working on for months now. And, you know, we're trusting the Holy Spirit to work, but we are doing the best that we can to maximize every 30-second block in that 60 minutes. So I'm looking forward to it. I think you'll, it'll be a life-changing experience. Start a brand new series right after that called Volatile. It's kind of a quirky series. Uh, we'll have a little fun with it, maybe a little bit too much fun. 
But I, the reason why we call this service volatile, the series volatile, and we're kind of treating it like a, you know, back in the day, people was talking about walking on eggshells. Now we're kind of treating volatile like a flooring product that you, you know, used to walk on eggshells. Now in our culture today, we're walking on volatile. So uh, four weeks just talking about how we can deal with the world's getting more and more volatile all the time. You know, how do we deal with it? With, how do our kids live in a volatile world? How do marriages function in a volatile world? One of the sermons is called When Your Neighbors Get Volatile. And so uh, <laughs> it's going to be a great series. Two weekends that we're going to have kind of be out of a series, Memorial Day, and then we're actually celebrating the 20th anniversary of New Spring at this location, the first week of June. So we'll be celebrating New Spring. And just some of the story that God has done, the miracles that he's done to bring us here. And I was telling my uh, our executive pastor, Billy Poor, I said, we're going to do a week of celebrating the 20th anniversary in our new building. He said, well, with 20 years here, it's no longer the new building, is it? But uh, it just still feels like the new building to me, although there are about four or five more buildings than there were when we first came out here. And then uh, we're going right back into prophecy throughout the summer. It is Clash of Dynasties 2, the Daniel Chronicles. So that starts the second weekend of June. So we're excited about what God has in store here for New Spring. And I'm going to ask you to always be pray, prayerful and be in prayer for all the things that are happening. Because here's the deal. We're all of us, starting with the pastor on, we're all well aware that if the Holy Spirit doesn't do what he does, the rest of this is just smoke and mirrors. And, but we believe. We believe he has the power to do that. And, and so I just want to encourage you to keep praying. Uh, we live in difficult times, as I'm going to talk about tonight briefly. Uh, but I just kind of want you to know what's coming up in the next few weeks and months. Uh, we had a service last weekend that was wonderful. I didn't get to be here. I was on the road, and I listened to it online. But I really appreciated Jonathan's message last weekend. I thought it was one of the greatest messages I've ever heard on the, on the subject of Jesus the healer. And I really appreciated about that message how balanced it was because I hear some preachers preach and it's like, God heals everything, and if he doesn't heal everything, then there's something wrong with your faith. On the other hand, I hear preachers that swing to the other side, and the way they talk about it, it sounds like God doesn't heal anybody, and, and I've lived long enough to see God do enough miracles to know that he does heal, but I also know there are a lot of things that are hard to understand, and so it really spoke to me, and, and I continue to think as, as I got home early this week about this issue of why do good people have it bad, and why do bad people have it good? That's a big question. And I guess throughout my years of pastoring and ministry, it's probably one of the most oft-asked questions in some form or another. Uh, why do good people have it bad? That's, that's the first question that's hard to wrestle with. But then, why do bad people have it good? Because it seems to contradict everything that we know about God. You know, we would expect as we read the Bible that if a person does right, that they will be blessed for it. And that is true, generally, but there are people who do right, and they go through seasons of adversity. On the other hand, there are people, it would seem like if you do wrong, you're going to have difficulty. They do wrong, and they don't seem to have any difficulty. And so that creates questions in all of our minds, and Jonathan talked some about those this last week. If you didn't get to your last week's message, I'd get online and listen to it. But, um, you know, and there are various levels of how people react to this uh, 
seeming contradiction of good people having it bad and bad people having it good. A lot of people become atheists because of that. And they say, well, that God must not exist. I was just listening or reading or an interview with Carl Reiner, and he made that statement uh, that, that he didn't believe in God. And, and so when he was asked, he's, I think he was like 90, I think he's like 96, 97 years old, and he was asked why he didn't believe in God. And he said, well, six million people in the Holocaust prayed to God, and they died. So consequently, he said, there's nothing above us. And, uh, and so I, I think there are many people who become atheists or agnostic because they can't seem to resolve this issue of why good people have it bad and bad people have it good. On the other hand, there's some of us who are Christians, and we struggle with our faith, at least for a season, because of that. And then there are those of us who have faith in God, but frankly, it still is a challenge, isn't it? I have a friend. I think I talked to you about him a couple of months ago. I have a friend in Ohio, one of the finest pastors in this nation. And he and his wife are everything good about the ministry. I think I asked you to pray for him a couple months ago. And Roy came down with cancer a little over a year ago, and he went through treatment and seemed to have a clean bill of health. And saw saw Mary Alice and I were with him and his wife last October, and we were celebrating that. But just a few weeks later, it was determined that the cancer is back. And he right now is going through stem cell treatment, and that's going very hard. And frankly, Roy has just really gone down uh, to the valley of, shadow, valley of shadow of death several times. And thank God I just heard from yesterday he's doing better. But I'm just telling you, he is, he's fighting an enormous battle. And his precious wife, April, I'm telling you, this couple, and I mean, I've, I've been a pastor for 42 years. I grew up in a pastor's home. Every day I've walked through the front door of my house, it's been a pastor's home. Uh, I, know, I don't know a lot about things, but I know about pastors. And I can just tell you, this couple is everything good about the ministry. But let me tell you something else. They have a wonderful church in Ohio. In fact, they do a lot of the same things that we do here at New Spring. <laughs> I, I, was, I was speaking for them two or three years ago, and I went into their mall. And in their mall, in the food court, there were light boxes, and one of them was Cosmo from Kids World. And so, you know, they, they just have a wonderful heart and mind and been great friends to us. But right about the time Roy got cancer, they had done a magnificent job of renovating part of a mall for their church. And they, had, they averaged about 1,500, I think, in attendance. And right about the time he got cancer, they lost their lease. And right now, while Roy is fighting, Roy and April fighting this battle of health, they're also trying to figure out where they're going to go next as a church. And you're praying for them, and God is answering prayer. But see, I have a, I have a hard time understanding that. Because I know guys in the ministry, they preach one thing, but their lives are something else. And they seem to be doing just fine. We all know there are these prosperity gospel preachers who drive Rolls Royces and live in mansions and, and have jet airplanes. And I, that's some, there's something wrong with that. But... Many of them seem to be doing fine, and yet my friends who are sacrificial and serving God and loving God are in the fight of their lives and having to fight the battle on two fronts. That's hard to understand. Well, as I was driving and listening to Jonathan, I thought about a sermon that my, or a scripture that my dad used to preach from a lot. It's a wonderful season in life for me because I'm listening to my son and thinking about a sermon my dad preached to me, so I'm getting it in both ears. My dad loved a particular psalm. 
And tonight, and if you have your Bible with you, it'd be good to get it out because uh, even though we have electronic devices, it's good every once in a while just to open the pages and put your hand on the page and see more than just the verse or two that you have on your uh, electronic device. See the context of it. I want to take you to Psalm 73. It was my dad's favorite psalm. Now, the psalms in the Bible are songs. There are 150 of these. It's the longest book of your Bible. And the psalms are written by various authors, primarily David. King David wrote most of the psalms. But what you might find interesting is just like there are different kinds of songs on your playlist, um, there are different kinds of psalms. There are different classifications of psalms. There, there are praise songs, praise psalms. There are messianic psalms, songs that, psalms that talk about Jesus. For instance, the 23rd Psalm is a messianic psalm. It's a song that talks about Jesus. Actually, Psalm 23 is right in the middle of a trilogy of messianic psalms. If you want to read the most graphic depiction of crucifixion, read Psalm 22. And uh, David, the psalmist, would write, they pierced my hands and my feet. It is, it is a moving picture of crucifixion 300 years before the Carthaginians invented it, which is really interesting. So it's a prophecy. It is a messianic psalm. Psalm 22 is the death of Jesus. Psalm 24 is the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Psalm 23, it's like Jesus preaches his own funeral. That is why we love Psalm 23 so much. Yea, even though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. So uh, when you look at the psalms, some are praise songs, some are messianic psalms. There are songs or psalms that we call psalms of ascent because the people would chant them or sing them as they went to worship, as they climbed up to go to the place of worship. But many of the psalms are what we call lament psalms or blues songs. And we did a series here probably back about 2008 called Blues. And a lot of you probably weren't here back then, but we just looked at some of the lament psalms of the Bible and called them blues songs. Well, tonight's psalm, Psalm 73 is one of the blues songs in the book of Psalms. Now, it is said that this particular psalm is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a choral director in Jerusalem during this time, but we really don't know, did Asaph write the song or did David write the song for Asaph to lead? I'm probably going to slip. It is my opinion. I couldn't prove this. I think David wrote this song because it bears his style. It is the way he talks. So if I slip and say David wrote that, um, you know, forgive me. We really don't know for sure. But here's what we do know, and this is a bit of a spoiler alert. Throughout this entire psalm that we're going to walk through briefly this evening, the psalmist is struggling with reconciling what God says and his feelings. Because God says something over here, and yet his feelings are telling him something completely different. And we live in a culture today in 2019 America, and not just the broader culture, but even the church, we live in a culture today where people are basing pretty much what they think and believe on their feelings. And so because of that, it, it's, it's important for us to spend this brief time together tonight because this particular blues song is about a follower of God who hears God say something or see something that God says in the Bible right here, but my feelings are telling me the opposite thing, so what do I do at that point? So you ready? We're just going to roll through this pretty fast. Let's start with verse 1. The psalmist says, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. In effect, and you're going to see this in just a moment, to be very clear to you, this guy is really not in a good place, but he's going to start the song by saying what he's supposed to say. Do you ever do that? Do you ever go to church? 
And you don't feel like praising, but you say what you're supposed to say. You know, and, and you hear someone say, God is good, and you say all the time. But you're not really feeling it right there, right? And so that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to say. And, and to his credit, he puts this little word at the beginning. He says, truly. In other words, he's saying, I know this is the truth. God is good all the time to those whose hearts are impure. Our hearts are pure. Verse two, but as for me, in effect, he is saying, I know that God is good in a corporate sense. I know that God loves his children. I know that God loves the church. I know that God loves the world. It's one of those things where technically, I know it's true that God's love extends to all mankind. But for me, Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're an exception to the promises of God? You know, there are people who feel like they're exceptions to the rules of God. But I don't think that's you. I don't think you would be here on Wednesday night if you felt that way. But some of us could feel like we're exceptions to the promises of God. I know that God says that he wants to do this for his children, but I just keep failing as a Christian. You know what I believe? I really believe there are a lot of Christians who doubt their relationship with God in salvation because, and here's the weird thing about it. There are Christians who struggle with what we call assurance of their salvation, assurance that they're going to heaven. And yet if they talk to someone who is a non-believer, they would tell them, this is what God promises you, that if you invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life, if you believe that he died for your sins, if you believe that he rose from the dead, that Christian would tell somebody else, you will certainly be saved and you will never lose your salvation, but on we're feeling, but maybe not me. You know, we don't talk about that a lot, but a lot of God's children struggle with that. In fact, believe it or not, one of the greatest preachers of all time, in fact, I think outside of the Bible age, he is the greatest preacher of all time, struggled with this because he struggled with depression. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He pastored in London. He pastored a megachurch before any of us knew what to call it. There never was a church big enough or never was a building big enough to hold all the people who wanted to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. And yet, as one biographer wrote about Charles Spurgeon, as amazing as his sermons were, his depression was deep. One biographer called, the title of his book was Bright Days, Dark Nights. And what I love about Spurgeon, the reason why Typically, if I'm coming to the campus to start the Saturday services, the last thing I do before I'll leave the house is I'll read what Spurgeon had to say about my, my text. Because the power of God was on him. In fact, I don't know of anyone outside of Paul who ever spoke as clearly about salvation. And yet there were times when he would get so depressed. My favorite story is He was going through a season of depression, and so he took a few weeks off from preaching in London, and he just traveled through the countryside, and one day, one Sunday morning, he just slipped into the back of a church service. I may have told you this story before if I have, I'm sorry. But he slipped into the back of a church service, just wanted to sit down incognito, and the preacher who was preaching in this country church was preaching one of Spurgeon's sermons. I mean, just word for word was preaching one of Spurgeon's sermons about salvation, and at the end of the service, he recognized him and said, oh, Dr. Spurgeon, I'm so sorry. And, and I preached your message here. And Spurgeon said, oh, I'm so glad to hear your sermon today. I know now that I am fully saved. 
True story. I'm just saying sometimes even those of us who know God's word is true and we're, we're, like, in, we're like the psalmist in verse one. Truly, God is good to Israel. God is good all the time. But for me, but for me, I know God answers prayer, but for me, Verse verse two, let's read the whole verse. But as for me, now he he makes three statements. I almost lost my footing, my feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. Now, think about those three statements because they're all metaphorical in nature. I love the first one when he says, I almost lost my footing. Now, what do you think about footing? You think about footing when when you're walking, right? When you're traveling. So here the psalmist is referring to his journey as a God follower. And he's saying, you know what, sometimes being a God follower is not easy because the footing sometimes can be a challenge. And he said, you know, trying to follow God, I almost lost my footing. And then he said, my feet were slipping. In other words, he could say, and I don't know if you've ever been here or not, I could feel myself slipping. I could feel myself. Have you ever had that happen as a Christian? I mean, let's just take the halos off. Nobody nobody here but us tonight. We're not on television. We're on the internet, but... But I'm just asking you, have you ever, I mean, you know, what it's like? you know what it's like when you're following God and, and God's power is so evident in your life and God is answering prayer? You go to church and it's like every song is just for you and every part of the sermon is just for you and you can't wait to go and you go to four, all four services here at New Spring because you don't want to miss something. Wow, it's just wonderful when your footing is good as a God follower. But I think all of us at some point are going to be right where the psalmist was because you go through a dark season and you feel your, you feel your footing giving way and you go to church and the songs don't seem to speak to your heart the way they used to and the sermon is just sort of words and, and all people around you, you look around, there are people that are crying and deeply moved, but it's like I don't, I don't feel anything. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, my, I'm losing my footing and my feet are slipping. And then finally he said, I was almost gone. Now that word almost is important to me because it is good for us to know that whenever you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you can never be completely gone. I don't have time to preach this tonight. Mary Alice and I are reading through the book of Deuteronomy in the mornings. I love the book of Deuteronomy. It's Moses speaking to the young generation. You know, the old generation didn't have the courage to go into the promised land. God had to run them in circles for 40 years until they died. And now you've got this elderly Moses speaking to this young generation. And he's exciting them about following God. And one of the things that he told them in Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, he said, listen, you're going to go through difficult times, but I love this. Underneath are the everlasting arms. In other words, even if you fall, He will catch you. A child of God cannot fall so far that God will not catch them. You cannot run so far, fall so fast. You you can never go to a place where God cannot find you because no matter how you fall, I mean, psalmist said I was almost gone, but underneath are the everlasting arms. Over in the New Testament, the next, the last book of the Bible is a little book called Jude, one chapter long, right before Revelation. 24th verse of the book of Jude says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Aren't you glad to know that tonight? I may be talking to someone here tonight and you say, Mark, I'm just not deep enough into my Christian experience to have one of these times that you're talking about. But if Jesus doesn't come tonight, you probably will. 
You know, you're trying to follow Jesus, but your footing's giving way, and you feel yourself slipping and almost gone. Well, that's a low place, though, for a God follower. So let's get into this pretty quickly here. Why was the psalmist here? Well, if you'll allow me the anachronism, I think you watch the news. I mean, let's just read for a few moments. He said, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Now, I don't want to take a long time to unpack this tonight, but this is an interesting statement. First of all, he said he saw these people. He was watching them, and he, they, were, they were proud, and he's watching them getting ready. To, you know, he wants to see them fall because they're arrogant before God. And the psalmist is saying, I'm watching them, and they prosper despite their wickedness. Verse 4, they seem to live such painless lives, their bodies are healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And now, what really surprises the psalmist, in verse 10, he said, and so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. You feel that in our world tonight? Foolish, ridiculous, arrogant, puff-brained people spout off loudly, say stupid things, hurtful things, angry, hateful things, and just seem to go right on and be more and more, more and more successful. And the psalmist said, it isn't just that. It's the influence they're having on the broader culture. I'm sure the psalmist was a parent. And he's looking at what's going on in the world. And he's saying, these people are doing awful things. And they're getting by with it. And now the people, that's the world around me, they're dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. And now the people begin to ask, what does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Well, I think maybe that was a little bit of an overstatement, but to tell the truth, it seems pretty accurate today, so you can't really blame the psalmist for feeling like he feels. But heads up, Christians, because he's going to take a dark turn now. He's going to go to a really bad place. Because up till now, all the psalmist has done is state the obvious. We live in a world where, that's upside down. The people that are wicked seem to be prosperous. The people that are trying to do the right thing, they go through difficult times. Is that true? Yes, it's true. Are there a lot of bad people out there that seem to cruise right along without problems? Absolutely. Up until this point, he's fine, other than just dealing with the dark side of life. But now watch this. Verse 13. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Got any issues with that? I mean, you heard what I heard. Anything stand out to you? I mean, he's saying it doesn't pay to serve God. Maybe he might be overstating a little bit his own goodness, right? I mean, look at that one more time. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? 
See, here's the problem with the psalmist. He's looking at his life in contradistinction to everybody else around him. When he's looking at the arrogant strutting around, flipping off God, he can feel pretty good about himself. But now the psalmist has gone to the place where he has gotten a little bit arrogant, not just before the people, but before God. And he's saying, it doesn't pay to serve God. I've been pure. I've been good. And look, I don't get anything but trouble all day long. Well, that's pretty embarrassing. And yet, here's what I love, New Spring. God doesn't nuke him. I mean, hey, if I were God, guy starts talking like that, I might just leave a brown spot on the ground. <laughs> but you know, God doesn't even stop him. In fact, God lets us be in the Bible because it's what he was feeling right then. It's honest. It's It's wrong. But it's honest. God can always do business with honest people. And God is so patient with his children. It's this next verse, though, that always stands out to me. Psalm 73, 15. <laughs> the psalmist said, if I had really spoken this way to others, which means he didn't. Up until this moment, this is just between his ears. He said, if I had told other people how I was feeling, I would have been a traitor to your people. I'm cautious about this because I could leave you with the wrong impression, so I'm going to try to make this a really balanced statement. Sometimes there's a time not to talk. Now, I want to quickly add this caveat. I'm not talking about to a counselor. I'm not talking about getting help. That, 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 that's, that's good. But, you know, sometimes when you're in a bad place, it's not a good time to talk to your kids. Sometimes when you're in a struggling place, it's not the best thing to talk to your wife at that moment. And, and, and I got to hand it to David or whoever wrote this. David said, look, I, I know, I know I'm not in a good place right now. And I know the things that I'm feeling are, are a little bit off. And so I, I, I couldn't tell anybody about this because if I did, I would just seem to be a traitor. And I've been there. I think about many times in my life. But when I first graduated from college... Um, at the age of, well, I just, just turned 22, I went to Houston to serve on this, as associate pastor of a great church. I loved it so much. And I was 22, and the pastor was 62, and we were the only staff. And I loved this man then. I love him now, but he was crazy for real. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. He, he, he dealt. I mean, I, I can look back now knowing, even with the little I know, I, I know probably what his psychological and emotional issues were. And it was bizarre. I mean, he would accuse me of trying to take the church away from him when I just was trying to keep my head above water and try to be a good servant and... and um, and, uh, and then he would just, he, would, he, 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 had, he had a lot of paranoia, so everybody was out to get him. And then all of a sudden, he would turn around and be gone for four or five weeks, and nobody would know where he was. And he would leave me with these instructions before he would left. Don't let anybody else do anything. <laughs> that meant, by the way, you guys owe him a great debt for his craziness, because I learned a lot about pastoring in those days. 
because I preached every sermon. I wrote every educational material that we had. I did every wedding. I led every song. I led choir practice. I was over student ministries. I was over college ministries. I taught the teachers. I mean, for for all those weeks, I, so again, you guys owe that craziness a big debt of gratitude because that's where I learned a lot about pastoring. But it would just be so insane and so ridiculous. And Mary Alice would read me and she would try to get me to talk. Oh my goodness, she was 20. My, we were just kids. And she would try to get me to talk and I would just, I'd say, oh, it, everything's fine. I've never told you guys this. I'm going to tell you tonight. I've never told, I've never told this in, in 34 years here. Come here. The pastor who was my predecessor here, who eventually talked me into coming here in a transition, had told me, he had just taken this church in 1978, and he, he was my favorite professor. He told me, he said, I would love for you to come work with me his name was Dr. Roy Johnson. A handful of you will remember Roy. When I would have the worst days I would go through, I would always laugh and say, I wonder if Dr. Johnson needs an associate. That's all I'd ever say to her. You see, there, there are times when you need to just work things out. Now, like I said, I really am quick, quick about this because if there's a godly counselor or someone that you go to for counsel, that's a great thing. But, you know, when you're not in a good place and you're saying things that you don't really believe and you're struggling with your emotions, it's not the best time in the world to start talking to your kids or to your family because how many of us have said things to a husband or a wife that we really don't believe, but at that moment we felt it? I've had people who say, you know what, if I think it, I'm just going to say it. I'm just honest. That's not honest. That's crazy. <laughs> because a lot of times the things that we honestly feel in a moment are not what we truly believe. And that's what David is saying, He's, or the psalmist. I told you I was going to slip on that. He said, if I'd spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Now, I need to read you two verses together. And the reason why I tell you this is in the middle of these two verses is going to be a course correction. But I think you need to hear both of these verses so that you can know what the course correction is and then see the balance of them. So here we go. Psalm 73. So, in other words, based on everything that he said up to this point, why do bad people have it good? Why do good people have it bad? I don't understand. I tried to do the right thing, and I'm just going through hard times. And if I'd talked about it to anybody else, I would just be a traitor to God's people. Now he says, so... I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Now, the issue is he tries to sort it out in his own mind, okay? Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. See, what happens, it goes wrong with a lot of us as God followers is we're trying to figure it out on our own. We're trying to figure it out without full perspective, and that's what happened to the psalmist here. He said, you know, I racked my brain to try to figure out why do bad people have a good and why do good people have a bad? And I couldn't figure it out. Then I went to the sanctuary and I heard from you and I got some perspective, oh God. And then he said, I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. One of the most powerful things about Jonathan's message last weekend was he got to the end of the message and talked about the perspective of eternity. We live in a world today where so much of God following has to do with this life. And yet, 
The psalmist said, truly, you put them, the ungodly, on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. I like verse 20. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. So for all of us who are getting freaked out by all the silly stuff that's being said in the world today, isn't it a beautiful thing that God will laugh at that like a person laughs at dreams in the morning after we realize they're not really true. Now, I'm getting ready to close. Look at this, verse 21. Then I realized my heart was bitter. Now, if you talk to the psalmist at the beginning of the psalm and you say, what's the problem here? The psalmist would say, the problem is good people have it bad and bad people have it good. When he gets to this point, he says, the problem was I had let my heart get bitter. How do we let our hearts get bitter? Well, <laughs> the Bible tells us in the New Testament when it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. When we start holding on to anger and we don't let it go, you know, it's like a, it's like a car on an expressway with no off-ramp. When we just get angry all the time and everything we see confirms, we get confirmation bias of what we think. And, more, and, and here's the reason. Some of us, and I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, some of us need to turn the news off for a few days. You know, I, we, we, live in a, we live in a day and age where if you're conservative, you go to one channel and you watch the news. If you're liberal, you go to another channel and you watch the news. And all, all they do is just store up our anger, right? Now, there's true stuff there, and there's stuff that we need to be aware of, and I'm just saying, but some of us, what happens is we go home and we watch the news, and it's like we get angry all over again, angry, and angry at this, and angry at that, and I just don't know that God made the human mind to process all the anger stimuli that's part of our global communication culture. And David just said, you know, or the psalmist said, I, my problem was I was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. He said, I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. I hear people say this all the time. What if this person gets elected? What are we going to do if that person gets elected? What are we going to do if this party gets in power? What are we going to do with, if President Trump stays in power? People ask all the questions all the time. Well, I, I know the answer to that question. I will still belong to God tomorrow morning, and he will still hold me by my right hand. <laughs> the world is not going to fall apart if some party gets in power, out of power. God is in control. And I love this. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He's mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I love this. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. Like I say, Psalm 73 was my dad's favorite song. It's kind of like a reset, isn't it? Well, 3,000 years have gone by since that psalm was written. And we live in an age, and one of the reasons why I want to teach on prophecy again is I just don't know that you can understand our times without understanding the prophetic significance of what's going on in our world today. I, my heart goes out to people who are trying to make sense of things today and don't understand where we are 
on God's calendar. But guys, I want to tell you something. We have something to look forward to that's very special. Jesus said, we're going to celebrate the resurrection in a few days. He said, if I go away, I will come again. And I don't know, whatever happened to that message? You know, when I was a kid in church, we used to hear all the time about Jesus coming back, and people talked about it all the time. Strange, isn't it? It's almost getting muted today, and yet the irony is all the signs point to the return of Jesus like they never have before. The good news today is even if we get down, Jesus is coming back, and we're going with him. Thank you very much. God bless you.